It's so good. I find it so good when, when the pastor doesn't have to remember everything. Isn't that great? That uh, I have other people giving me reminders. Now, Dan, I'm going to do my best, but you might need to flick it ahead for me. Okay, we'll see how we go. So we're continuing in our uh, series through John's Gospel, the, the, the Gospel of John. And this morning we are up to John chapter 14, verses 6 through to 12. We're looking at um, seeing what Jesus sees, that's the theme. So what did Jesus see when he was amongst his disciples that day? What did Jesus see in the community that, as he walked around? So today we're actually looking at a passage where he is with his disciples around the time of the Passover and we'll be seeing what he sees in them and perhaps what he sees for their future. So I'm looking at John chapter 14, verse 6 to 12, and Jesus sees in his followers, now remember who these followers were that he's, he's speaking to, they were his close uh, associates of the past three years, and he sees a need in them to believe in him. He sees a need in them who have seen him in action, listened to his teaching, he sees the need in them to believe in him. Didn't they believe in him already? They should have. What about us today? You know, we, we have head knowledge as we read God's word. But what about that belief which is believing and obeying sort of knowledge? It comes from the heart. I'm amazed. I'm amazed that, that God in his inspiration of the writers of the New Testament, certainly the gospel writers, gave so much attention to these last few days, last few hours that Jesus spent with his disciples. If you look at John's Gospel alone, he gave almost, John wrote almost six chapters out of the 21 chapters on this event, on these times when Jesus was alone with his disciples prior to going to Jerusalem and being crucified. So, it's obviously some important things that we need to learn about this time as well. We need to implement in our lives. And in those times, Jesus spoke about uh, the most important things that they would need to remember. Like, so often we see all the stories, all the parables that Jesus went through, all the miracles that he performed. But I believe in these six chapters of John, he was reinforcing the most important things that they needed to remember. I wonder if he saw that they were the most likely things that would be forgotten. And sometimes they're things that we need reminding of as well. But in all that time, he spoke about the importance for them to believe in him. And so as I was reading this, I think, didn't they believe in him already? But what did they believe in him? Some thought that he was the Messiah that was going to uh, free them from the oppression of the Romans. That was, that was what some thought. Did they actually realise that he was the Son of God? God in human form who was showing them what God was like so that they could live with God beyond that time. He uses that word believe almost a hundred times in the Gospel of John. And in these verses here, I think there are about uh, four or five different times that he uses. So I just want to flick back to John chapter 14 and verse 1. Whoops, lost it. I lost it up there. And this is what uh, John recorded when Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Other translations say trust in God. It's the same meaning. Believe also in me. That's that believe, that trust which says, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to not only believe, but I'm going to obey what Jesus said. 
And then in, in verses um, uh, 10 to 14 of chapter, sorry, 10 to 12 of chapter, of chapter 14, it says this: "Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works." Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves, the things that he's done. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. That's an incredible promise, isn't it? And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. So what does believing in Jesus mean? I think this scripture, these verses are going to help us to understand what it means to believe in Jesus. What he is trying to get across to the disciples. Believe in me, is what he's saying to them. He saw that their faith in him would struggle. Reading from verse 6 in John chapter 14, I'm just going to read from 6 to 12, and I think we'll keep up to speed there. See how we go. Remember, he had just been telling them about the preparations, that he was going to a place to prepare a lot of rooms for them. And they couldn't go there yet, but one day they would. And then in verse 6 he says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Remember, ultimately he's trying to say, believe in me, really believe in me, really trust in me, to the point where you will do what I say. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You see, he just didn't get it yet. So he still had that sort of question. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, three years? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What was Jesus' primary purpose in coming to this world? To show people what God Almighty, his Heavenly Father, was like. That was his primary purpose. It wasn't to come and heal everybody. It wasn't come to bring peace as such. It was to come and show us what God was like. Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father? I just read that a moment ago, that the Father is in me. The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. This has got to be one of those passages where in our scientific, uh, uh, empirical world, we find it so hard to see Jesus and the Father as one and the same. It's the whole Trinity question, isn't it? And yet this is what Jesus was teaching and, and, and the, this, the Gospel writers recorded these words for us to try and grasp it as well. Jesus came to show us what the Father was like. Everything he said, everything he did was because, the God, because God the Father told him to say and do those things. Some of you might remember this story. I think I've used it in the past. It's a story about a fellow called Pastor John Harper. It was in 1912. He was a pastor in Glasgow in Scotland and he was called as the new pastor of Moody Bible Church in Chicago in the US. So he headed to America. With him was his six-year-old daughter Nina 
and her aunt Jessie. John's wife had died when Nina was born. So they were going to uh, America. Guess what ship they were going on? Titanic. They were all excited. They were going on the maiden voyage of the greatest ocean liner ever built. But when his ship hit the iceberg, Nina, the little child, six-year-old, she was saved in lifeboat number 11. She was sitting on her aunt's lap. Her dad gave his life jacket away. And then he stayed with the ship and began to witness to anybody who would listen to him. Pastor John was one of those 1,522 people who died that night. But four years later, a man at a church meeting in a town in Canada gave his story and he said this, I'm a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a spar of timber that night, the tide brought Mr Harper of Glasgow beside me. He was also on a piece of the wreck next to me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The waves took him away. But strange to say, they brought him back a little bit later. And he said, are you saved now? No, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. Again, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Shortly after that, he went down and there alone in the night with two miles of water under me, I believed. That was the story of this man at a meeting in Canada. That man was eternally grateful for John Harper's faithful witness. It came from that same passage when Paul and Silas were giving their testimony to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 and verse 31. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What was Jesus wanting them to believe about him? He was saying, believe in me. He was planning for their salvation. He was trying to reinforce in their hearts and minds that he was the saviour of the world. He was the Christ, the Messiah. For you and I, for our loved ones, our families, our friends, our relatives, somehow we need to be John Harpers. We need to be challenging people. Are you saved? Do you know what it means to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Because first we have to believe that Jesus is our Heavenly Father. He will become our Heavenly Father because of who he is. Do you know your Heavenly Father? We're taught to pray our Father in Heaven, but do you know your Heavenly Father? Look at Jesus' life. He came to show us what the Father is like. Verses 6 and 7, we read this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. When Jesus spoke about knowing his Father, he wasn't just talking about head knowledge. He wasn't just talking about knowing all the facts. He was talking about knowing someone in a close and personal way. He was talking about understanding who they are from the beginning to end. It's like you and I, like, uh, let me get this right. Cheryl and I have been married just over 38 years. I've got to remember that. And uh, in those years, I think I've gotten to know her. Uh, I've met her 
mum and dad and a brother and sister, a brother and, and sister-in-law. I, knew, I know where she grew up, where she went to school. I've heard her story about when she came to faith in Jesus. I've, uh, I've, I know her academic achievements because we were in the same, same grade together at Bible College and we always had this bit of a battle who was going to get the best marks in the class. I know, I know her love of dogs, I know her love of children and I know all that about her. And that's the sort of thing that Jesus is talking about here. That we should get to know God, the Father, through him in, a same, in the same way. That we should get to know Jesus as our Heavenly Father. Because that's what he came to show us. And this, this for the apostles, and not only for them but for us as the church, is what God wants this close relationship they had with him because he was there in person, we have with God because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. When we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit of God comes into our lives and he reminds us of all that God has done for us, the allowing of Jesus to go to the cross for us, die for our sin and our disobedience, the restoration of that relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus. That's what God wants us to know. He wants us to, be, wants us to know him as our heavenly father. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 is another scripture that reminds us of this. Whoop, where are we? Oh, it's going backwards. There we are, Matthew 7. Jesus said this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if he's starting to ask for bread, will give him a stone? Verse 10. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then know you are evil, know how, good, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We need to get to know our Heavenly Father and we do that through Jesus Christ. This chap, some of you may know, this chap, D.L. Moody, he was a Bible scholar. There's the Moody Bible College over in the States. He was also an evangelist. And one story is told of a, a meeting that he had in Chicago in this big tent crusade meeting like they used to have then. His uh, scripture was in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus spoke about himself and he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm sure you're familiar with that verse. Well, as he finished uh, speaking and the service concluded, as it were, a police officer brought a little boy up to the platform and the policeman had found this lost little boy. He'd separated from his dad and his mum and he was in a terrible state. And so he went to Mr Moody and said, look, uh, this little boy's lost. So Mr Moody took the boy in his arms and he asked the crowd to look at him. You know, look at me, folks, look at me. And then he spoke. He said, the father of this child is more anxious to find the child than the child is to be found. So it is with our Heavenly Father. He has been looking for you to come to him for many years. So he took the opportunity to use this lost little boy to remind people of what the Heavenly Father is like. And at that moment, a man ran from the back of the crowd, worried look on his face, rushed to the platform. The boy saw him and he jumped into his father's arms threw himself to his father. And the crowd broke out with a fantastic cheer. And Mr Moody said, God will receive you in the same way if you run to him today. God will receive you in the same way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved 
His heavenly Father will become your heavenly Father. Do you need to know your heavenly Father today? Is there a burden that you're carrying that you need to hand over to your heavenly Father? He's waiting with open arms for you to do that. And so only something you can do, nobody can do it for you. If you believe in Jesus, he will become the greatest revelation of God to you. He will show you not who the Father is, but what the Father does. Jesus Christ is literally God come to earth as a man. Again, we find it hard to get our heads around that. But verse 7 of chapter 14 says this, and I think I've got it up there. Yes. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is sufficient for us. Philip wanted to see more, but Jesus needed Philip to see him. Philip needed more proof, but Jesus was in fact saying, I am the proof. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Verse 9 says this, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Reiterated it, reiterated it. The Lord wanted Philip to know what he already had seen was all he needed to know about God. What he had already seen was all that he needed to know about God because he had seen Jesus. That was what Jesus' job was. Paul writes about it in Colossians chapter 2. He says this, Paul proclaimed, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. And again in a letter to Timothy, Paul wrote this, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world was taken up in glory. You and I might get into arguments with some people that struggle with the Trinity. These are the verses that I take them to and say, please explain this to me from your perspective and then let me tell you what I believe about Jesus, that he is God shown to us. The writer of the Hebrews puts it this way. He says this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. That's Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's who Jesus is. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Verse 4, so he has become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I'll be his father and he will be my son. And the answer is none. He didn't say that to any of the angels. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says he makes the angels his His angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, verse 8, 
Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the sceptre of your kingdom. So Jesus was different to the angels for sure. In fact, he was the representation of God to humankind. Paul writes it in another way. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, he talks about how Jesus had to humble himself by being with his Father God to come to this earth and to live as a man. Verse 5 says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What does that mean to you and I? It means that Jesus came to show us what God's like. And uh, William Barclay, uh, another author of uh, last century, describes it as Jesus living in our life. Jesus living in an ordinary home, being a part of an ordinary family but at the same time being so in touch with God that he could tell us God's words. He could do God's deeds in front of us, in front of mankind. One, uh, one retired radio show host from the USA, a guy by the name of Paul Harvey, used to, each Christmas, uh, tell this story. And I think it's a, a relevant story to us in getting to know Jesus as he shows us what God is like. He tells this story about Jesus coming to earth. It was about a family with a father who didn't believe in the Lord. And one evening the wife was about to head out to church with the children. They were going to attend a Christmas celebration. Before they left, her husband told her he couldn't see how she could be so sure her faith in Christ was going to save her. That was his question. Why, he asked, why would God choose a method like this to reach people? Someday you'll understand, she replied. No doubt she's been praying for him for a while. As usual, he stayed at home. They went to church to celebrate Christ's birth, Christmas. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall, heavier and heavier. And as he sat in his chair reading the newspaper, he was startled by a a thudding sound on the window and then another and then another. And it seems that, um, at first he thought somebody was throwing snowballs at the living room window. But then he went to the door and he looked out and there was a flock of of birds that had huddled together miserably in the snow. They'd lost their way in the snowstorm and they were desperate to search for shelter. They'd tried to fly through his large window into his warm living room. In compassion, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze. And so he thought of of the barn out the back. He thought, if I can get them there, that's warm They'll survive and they'll be able to fly off tomorrow. But he couldn't get the birds in it. He tried everything. He walked through the deep snow, he opened the door wide, he put some lights on, he uh, put a, uh, a, a trail of bird seed or, uh, from where they were to the barn, but they wouldn't go. He tried to catch them. He tried everything he could do to help them. If only, if only he thought, if only I could be a bird myself, I could lead them into that barn then they wouldn't have to be afraid. Then they would be safe. Then they would be warm. But I have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. Right at that moment when he was thinking that, the church bells began to ring and a well-known carol wafted on the breeze. 
O come all ye faithful, he heard. As he heard it, he he sank on his knees in the snow and realised why God had come to earth in the form of a man so that he could show us what God was like. He could show us where rescue would come from, from the punishment of sins. That night, that dad came to faith in Jesus. I wonder, have you seen the greatest revelation of God because you believe in Jesus? We're all on a journey, I think. If God was to give us all that great revelation at once, our minds would blow, be blown away. But bit by bit, he reveals to us who he is, his character, through Jesus Christ. And the third thing that we'll finish on this morning is when we believe, we believe that he guarantees great things in our lives when we believe in Jesus. And in verses 11 and 12 in John's Gospel, chapter 14, it says there, Believe me, when, when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles or the works themselves. Verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus was talking to his disciples, the important things he was wanting them to remember. He wants us to remember that as well. The book of Acts shows how this was a miraculous reality in the life of the early church. Acts chapter 2, yeah, Acts chapter 5 rather, verses 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Verse 14 says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Acts chapter 8 gives us another reminder of what happens when Christ guarantees things in our lives. Chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria, Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city that day. There was great joy in the city. These were extraordinary demonstration of God's power. Now necessary to establish the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ for those people at that time. And our God has always been a God of miracles. He's still a God of miracles today. He's doing amazing things in people's lives as we come before him and ask him for his will to be done. And he promised that. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus promised that. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I said earlier, we need to remember that Jesus didn't come just to heal people. He came to show us what God was like. He came to show us how we could be free from the punishment of our sin and disobedience. And that's the greatest miracle of all. I trust that all of us here today have believed, have trusted in Jesus for that miracle of forgiveness of sins and that promise of a home in heaven that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. I want to finish with a small, short story this morning. 
is a testimony of a pastor. His name was James Chandler. And he found out about Jesus in a very unusual way before he became a pastor. And this is his story. He said, As a teenager, I went to an outdoor drama of the crucifixion of Christ. An outdoor drama of the crucifixion of Christ. I was not a Christian, but I was curious about all this Jesus stuff. That was his words. The audience was to play a part of the crowd during Jesus' trial and death and on, on the cross. And, and so they all shouted, they got the audience to shout, crucify him, crucify him. That was the crowd. They brought Jesus out and began to beat him. Even though I knew it was a play, I was amazed at how it was, I was drawn to it. This is his story. As we, the crowd, began to follow Jesus up the hill carrying his cross, Jesus stopped and fell on his knees. I didn't know he was supposed to do that. He didn't know the story. A Roman soldier looked at me, pointed and yelled, you carry his cross. Can you feel the gulp already? I was stunned and confused. I hoped he was talking to somebody else. But before I knew it, there I was, carrying this heavy wooden cross up the hill. For the first time, all of this Jesus stuff started to make sense to me. That was his story. And from that point on, he came to faith in Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will know the Father. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Believe in me. Not look at me, believe in me. Believe in me. Don't forget about me. Believe in me so that what happens next, you'll be able to survive it and get through it. So he's asking us to believe in him as the Lord Jesus, that he came to show us what the Father is like so that we may experience living with him day by day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who has a plan. We thank you, Father, that you're a God who allowed the Lord Jesus to come and show us what you're like because we know that if you turned up as a spirit, we probably wouldn't be able to understand you either. But Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is very real, that he uh, lived amongst us, that he taught, that he spoke, that he did miraculous things to show us who you like, who you are like and what your heart is like. I pray that we'll be continually looking for Jesus in your word, uh, in one another, Father, that we may be drawn closer to you and able to do the things that you want us to do. Lord, I pray that we'll be able to encourage others to believe in Jesus as well. And Lord, we ask for your strength and your enabling to do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the music team to come back as we look at one last song for this morning. You've probably heard me pray a couple of times today that God's the same yesterday, today and forever. And uh, he doesn't change. He has a plan. And this song reminds us of that, that he is the everlasting God. Let's stand and sing this together.